Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Ladig, and welcome to another week. <laughs> I'm not sure what number this is. I don't keep track of them that well, but anyway, I've been vacillating back and forth a little bit on what to talk about today, and I finally settled on something. I was going to go in one direction and then decided to go in another, partly because the first direction I was going to go in, I think I'm going to actually bring in a guest to talk about. Um, it's something uh, kind of fascinating that Kristen and I have been somewhat involved in. Um, some of you may be familiar with the topic. Uh, some of you, perhaps it's a new thing to you, but it's called human design. And uh, human design is an interesting, I don't know, it's, I don't even know what you call it. Um, basically, it's based upon in some respects, it kind of reminds me a little bit of astrology, but not. Um, it it approaches it completely differently, but it's based upon your birth date and time and all of that. And then it defines you as one of five different uh, human types, I guess. And uh, it's uncanny how accurate everything works. I mean, every single person that we've um, put this process through, which includes all of our employees and everyone else. It just describes them perfectly to a T, even my grandkiddos. Um, but anyway, I'm still kind of quote unquote young in it. I've only been kind of paying attention to it for about a year, but Kristen's best friend, Natalie Collins, uh, is actually a licensed practitioner and kind of how we got into it. And uh, so I'm working on setting up a time for her to come in and talk about it. It's it's fascinating as heck. If you want to do a little advanced research, that's why I'm sharing about it now. Um, turns out that out of the five um, variations or whatever you want to call it, I don't even know, know the terminology. That's how much of an expert I am. Um, there's one uh, option that's called a reflector. and Turns out that that's what I am. And uh, I think 1% of the entire Earth's population is actually a reflector. It's the most rare. So I'm a rare breed, apparently. But uh, it's kind of crazy how it describes you. I mean, it's just pretty amazing. Uh, but anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, and I'm not quite sure when I'm going to be able to schedule something with Natalie, hopefully next week, but probably in the next couple of weeks because she lives in Utah. So there's a couple hour delay, uh, time wise. Anyway, um, one thing that, that I did decide to talk about was, um, genealogy, but from a completely different perspective. Um, as many of you know, I've been doing genealogy research for years, years and years, um, since the early 1990s, I guess is really when I started getting into it. And uh, in some cases, you would think that genealogy research can be pretty straightforward, and it is for a couple generations, and then it kind of goes wonky. <laughs> because, you know, you get back about 100 years, 150 years, and, you know, it's a crapshoot at best sometimes. And um, one of the interesting discoveries that I made and one of the things that has taken so much time for me from a research perspective 
is identifying my dad's heritage. Uh, and the reason why is because, uh, as I've shared many times before, my dad was the result of a rape, according to my grandmother anyway. I don't necessarily believe that story, but you know, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and say that it's true. Um, but in any case, dad never really knew his father. Um, he had the opportunity to, to meet him um, when he was much older in his teens. And he said that he didn't want to do that. And so as a result, he had a kind of a tough time of it um, as a kid. And honestly, he, um, I'd have to say he never really got past that as an identity. Uh, even into his older years, um, dad always was one to have, you know, one eye looking backward and lamenting, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times he told me the story of being a little kid going to the end of the farm lane, crying for his mom because she moved away to Chambersburg where we live now. And he didn't join her until he was in his teens. Um, but so never really knew his dad. And, I had the uh, chance to interview my grandmother about all of this um, several years ago. Uh, she passed just a couple years ago, but probably eight or nine years ago. And she told me, she answered my questions, but it caused a major family rift for a while because it upset her. And rightly so. I mean, if she was um, indeed raped, that would be a very sensitive topic. And so I can appreciate that. But I also still wanted to know who my real grandfather was, you know. And um, what I discovered in the research was that the story was more convoluted than I ever would have imagined. And um, so I, I really started digging, digging into the, the story um, because Leidig my last name is, um, it's not a blood last name. Okay. Um, my, my grandmother, my dad's mom was actually also the result of an unplanned pregnancy. My great grandmother who I adored, um, got pregnant out of marriage. Um, and then got married or got married while she was pregnant with my grandmother to somebody else whose last name was Leidig. And uh, so chances are highly likely that that could have been a rape scenario as well, but I don't know. And, you know, all the uh, affected parties are no longer living. And so whenever my grandmother was born, my um, great-grandfather, who I knew, or I guess technically a step-great-grandfather, uh, adopted her. And so she was born with the last name of Leidig, even though he wasn't her blood father. And uh, she had a really hard time of it being adopted um, because, you know, she was kind of resented. I mean, you would imagine, right? Um, here you marry this woman and she has this kid and it's not yours. You know, I can see where it would be a really challenging uh, time. And so then it was just kind of interesting that, to me that she in turn then ended up being raped 
and had a child, which was my father. But as I dug into it, um, she always said, and we were always told that the reason why the guy did it, she was a housekeeper. And so she lived with the, with the, uh, the husband and wife who the husband is the one who was my dad's real dad. So she was a live-in housekeeper for them. And, um, his wife was barren, couldn't have children. And he always said that he wanted a son. And so he got one by, I guess, whatever means necessary, which of course he ended up never having a relationship with him anyway. Um, but what, is really interesting as I dug into it, I hit a brick wall with him. Um, I was able to find him, identify him, all of that kind of stuff. That only took a year or two. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't figure out who his dad was. And whenever I started doing census research and all of that kind of stuff, there was no record of a real father except for one uh, posting on a message board that I came across that said that um, he was adopted, my real grandfather, that he was actually adopted. Um, and his mom, my grandfather's mom, got married to uh, her husband whenever my grandfather was about three, I believe, three years old. And so um, the husband adopted my grandfather and gave him his last name Stinson. And so that's the only name that we ever heard or that we ever knew of was Stinson. And, but the, the dates didn't correlate. You know what I mean? It's like, hold on a minute. This guy couldn't be his father because he already existed before the guy came along. So that put me on a years long research journey. Um, that I was finally able to start getting answers to last year. And the only way I could get those answers was ultimately I knew that I would have to find my grandfather's birth certificate, which I did. Um, I had to go to the courthouse. You know, they brought out these big, ginormous books. And fortunately, I found it within just 10 or 15 pages. But so I got kind of lucky there. Um, but it turns out, that my grandfather was the result of an unplanned pregnancy as well. Um, and so both his mom and his dad went on to get married a couple years later, and they had their own families. There's no mention of any family connections to um, his real father, my great-grandfather, anywhere except on the birth record, um, the birth certificate. And so um, it's kind of one of those guessing game things. It's like, okay, so I have a written record, one written official record that states that this is who his father is. And his last name was Conlon, a very Irish name. And, of course, his dad had come over on the boat. Um, they actually lived in Ireland. Uh, before he came to the U.S. But, um, so I was able to track that family back a couple more generations, which is kind of cool. But one of the reasons why I was obsessed with this is just because 
it was an unknown and I'm a researcher and I like solving problems, <laughs> you know, solving, you know, it's like the ultimate treasure hunt. My life seems to be de uh, defined by treasure hunts in one form or another, <laughs> whether it's public domain or finding lost ancestors or finding, you know, treasure. And, um, so one of the things that was also curious to me as well is that I never really felt connected to the Leidig name, which of course there's good reason for it. It's not a blood name. Um, and so I guess technically my blood last name should be Conlon. Um, but you know, life is what it is. But, um, my primary purpose for outlining that convoluted part of my past history isn't so much uh, just to present that information as such, because none of that really impacts you guys. It's just my own family's weirdness, and every family has it, you know, in one form or another. Do genealogy research if you want to learn things about your family that you never knew. Um, in many cases, it's better than most good movies. But um, setting that aside, uh, Kristen and I were having a discussion the other day, um, and we were talking about genealogy. And she's like, I never really wanted to know my genealogy. Like she had family members who did some of the research and such like her, her dad's brother, I think did some research and different things like that, but she was never really connected to it. And that began a very interesting discussion, which is what I kind of want to mention today. Um, so we know that physically we came from somewhere, obviously, you know, a boy and a girl got together um, either in marriage or not. And through obvious means, <laughs> whether it was, you know, uh, physical or these days, you know, in a laboratory, um, still takes a man and a woman to produce certain kinds of things. And then poof, you have this child that comes along and, um, that process has been repeated over and over and over again, setting potential alien intervention aside for a minute um, for thousands of years. And so the further back you go, the more diverse the tree gets. And it's fascinating as anything to me. Um, like a couple of the lines of my, my grandmother's part of the family, I've gotten back as far as 1080 AD uh, on one line and 1240 and another line. And I don't know, it's just, crazy to look at 75 generations worth of people and think, wow, they all contributed to me somehow. And I've always found that incredibly fascinating, um, especially when you start getting back two or 300 years. And then you have all of these people that exist that have contributed to who you are today, at least in physical form, DNA form, whatever. And, um, whenever you start thinking about the events that had to take place for them to come together and produce a child and then for that child to meet somebody and then them, they produce a child and so on. It's like the ultimate whisper down the row of sorts from a DNA perspective. And so, you know, we're part of this collective called humanity, but also our individuality and our uniqueness courtesy of DNA um, is just the result of contributions from millions of people. Um, you know, once you go back so many generations and that's cool and all, 
and incredibly fascinating to me. But the one question that has been gnawing in my brain lately is now I want to preface what I'm, I'm going to throw out there. Um, and you guys are kind of weirdos as well. So I know you'll take it better than some, but we know from growing up or we're told uh, from the church that, you know, we're born, we have a spirit, the spirit is eternal. We show up here on our planet, we, on the planet, we do our thing for however many years we're here. We die, go to heaven or hell, and boom, that's it. You know, one shot, better make the best of it in your time here on the planet or else, you know. And that view has always troubled me. Even though I grew up in the church, it's always troubled me. I certainly don't ascribe to that now. It just defies any kind of logic whatsoever. It just doesn't make sense, even from God perspective. It just doesn't make sense. You know, what about somebody who lives five years old versus somebody who lives a hundred? So they get five years to make amends and somebody else gets a hundred years to make amends. And if you don't in either scenario, you're screwed. Like that just doesn't work for me. But what does work for me is that if we are indeed eternal spiritual beings, which I do believe, then, and our journey toward, um, achieving some kind of maturity that that has to be a process that happens over time. That's one of the reasons why um, when I first started doing real research on reincarnation and those kinds of things, it actually made sense because, you know, we're on a progressive spiritual journey that could happen over multiple lifetimes. Now, not, I don't believe that everyone is in that scenario. I mean, we could have a completely different conversation about star seeds and different ones like that. Like who, you know, their whole premise is to be one and done. They're here for a specific reason, specific time, and then they're out, um, at least on this planet. But um, if you think about, let's just assume for a second, putting any extra beliefs aside, let's assume for a second that reincarnation or some form of us coming back um, again and again for the sake of spiritual evolution is a thing. How does that factor into uh, our genealogy? Like, do we get to pick? You know, because DNA, um, DNA will trace our genealogy back as far as you want to go, especially whenever you get into the female line. I mean, you can blaze back thousands of years very easily. Um, on, you know, if you follow all the female line back, um, same with the core, uh, paternal lines, you can follow those basic markers back as far as you want to go. I mean, apparently I'm related to Marie Antoinette. Hey, um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, um, but anyway, uh, from that perspective, DNA makes it easy to, to track, but here's the thing. If we are, you know, bebopping in and out of human experiences over the course of thousands of years, are we tracking along that same genetic family line 
or are we just randomly bopping from here to there? You know, one one go round, you're, you know, in South Africa, and the next go round, you're in Ireland, and the next go round, you're here in the U.S., you know, talking to a lot of weirdo people just like you, you know. So to me, that's incredibly curious and frustrating because I haven't heard a good answer. And so I don't really know. And if you think about it this way, if we are returning to this human experience over and over again, does genetics even matter other than, you know, helping doctors try to figure out what in the world's wrong with us? You know, does it even matter who my great grandfather was? Because, I mean, honestly, if you look at reincarnation from certain perspectives, and this is where it can get really freaky, mind bending, my great great grandfather could have been me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it could have been me that started off this whole journey as him to lead back to me again. Now that's just weird. Um, and it may or may not be true. We conveniently forget, which I find incredibly frustrating. Although there are more and more children being born in our present day that aren't forgetting. They're remembering who they were which is very, I don't know how much of those kinds of things you read about children who recount details from a former life in incredible detail, way beyond anything that they could know or understand. Like, so some of my supposition is based on that kind of research where, you know, you can say, oh, well, reincarnation isn't, isn't real. Um, and that's fine. I, um, I honor anyone's beliefs because we're all on our own journey. But by the same token, because of the day and age that we live in, there's so much empirical data that we can actually point to that makes you scratch your head. You know, it used to be that the notion of somebody coming back from the dead was extremely rare. Now it happens every day. And they're coming back with stories that we can't explain. It used to be that the notion of somebody living before, uh, depending on the religion that you followed, of course, um, seemed just like an incredibly foreign concept. And it certainly went against certain teachings, depending on what you believe. But yet today we have people showing up, children showing up all over the place, recounting details that are impossible for them to know. So you can't just discard all of that. It's like, oh, well, that doesn't align with my beliefs, so it can't be real. Well, that's just being silly. You know what I mean? It's like sticking your head in the sand and saying that it doesn't matter. Um, when in reality, it does. But whenever you start marrying all of that stuff together, that's when it gets really weird to me. And not necessarily weird in a bad way. And then you factor in, like, it, to me, it's really easy for us to, like, look at folks who, um, who like, channel messages, okay, channeling, and say, oh, like I was always taught, oh, well, that's just demons speaking through people to deceive others. Fine. You know, but what if it isn't? What if it's, 
their higher self? What if it's people from another planet? What if it's us from the future? What if it's aliens? You know, I mean, legit, I'm talking, you know, like just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that it's automatically Satan trying to deceive us. You know what I'm saying? And so where I am with a lot of this right now is that there's a lot we don't understand. And I'm suspicious that there actually is a type of spiritual genetics that actually takes place, not from the sense of how physical genetics work with DNA and everything. <laughs> Kathleen says, what if it's dinosaurs? Serious, right? I, I mean, I'm all for that. But um, what if there is something to it? I remember years ago, I, I actually owned the URL, spiritualgenetics.com. I bought it, gosh, 10 years ago. Um, and my, my thought processes weren't anywhere near what we were talking about today. Half the stuff I didn't even believe in. Um, but still it's fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, whenever you get into, and, uh, Kathleen posted a comment to this uh, extent. And so I was already heading there in my mind about getting into um, past life regressions and those kinds of things, which I've had done once. And I'd like to do it again. It was, it was a hell of an experience, honestly, um, which I was convinced would not work on me because I don't hypnotize well. Um, maybe I'm too intellectual, maybe I overthink, who knows, but, um, the reality is that it did work and it was one of the most emotional, weird experiences that I've had ever. And this is about seven or eight years ago. Um, and so throwing that into the mix now, I don't know how to reconcile it all. And I don't even know if it matters if I reconcile it all. You know what I mean? Or if we all reconcile it all, maybe there isn't an answer. But the thing that I love about the prospect of thinking about it even is that it demonstrates that there's a much bigger game at play than what any of us realize. You know, it, it would, you know, it would be awesome and amazing uh, from a, uh, you know, hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil kind of perspective. If it really was as simple as boy meets girl, they have sex, a child is produced, that child meets boy or girl, they have sex, a child is produced, and so on down the row until it gets to us. And then each of those people live their life, die, go to heaven or hell, and boom, done, over. Um... If you look at the grand scheme of population over the years, there'd be a lot of people in one of the other places. Lots of people. Um, but let's step back from that just for a minute. Like, that would be easy if you think about it. It's very cut and dry, very straightforward. But if you step back 
uh, for a moment and just take a, a, a moment to think about how nature works, like an apple tree, you know. Apple tree, once, let's say it's a mature apple tree. So it grows X number of apples, depending on the size of the tree. We, I live like, I have apple orchards a half a mile from me. So, um, you know, it grows X number of apples every season. Many of those apples are harvested. Not all of them are. They fall to the ground. In each apple, there are multiple seeds. So the potential of producing multiple apples out of that one apple, much less the hundreds of apples that the tree actually produces. And so with you could get a little, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not esoteric, but we'll just use that. Um, you could look at it from the perspective of uh, within each harvest of an apple tree lies an entire uh, field of our entire orchard of apples, you know, within one harvest. And that would be true. And the reality is that that's pretty much true for everything that has life on this planet. Right? Um, a tree lives, grows, produces its fruit, the fruit dies, grows again, produces more fruit, dies, cycles over and over and over again. So you could say that, you know, we as humans do the same thing, but in reality, we don't. Um, I mean, we have seeds, obviously, and we produce fruit, our children, and that perpetuates on. But it's also different. There's a recycling that happens with most other species, you know, plants especially. A recycling of sorts that takes place that we don't really see with humans, thank God. At least from the position of, you know, apple trees and stuff. You know, maybe we do all live in the Matrix and we're all right now just in these big pods like the movie The Matrix, you know, being used as batteries, but I don't think so. But if you take it beyond all of that and really look at the grand scheme, like one of the things that Chris and I were talking about was, uh, and this is something that I believe that, or believe that some of the choices that we make are based upon decisions and contracts that happen outside of time. You know, like we decide that, you know what, I need to grow in this area um, to further my spiritual journey. You need to grow in X area to further your spiritual journey. How about we help each other grow together? And this is what we're, how we're going to do it within the context of humanity. Now, I personally don't believe that humanity is limited to just planet Earth. I think that um, some form of humans... Um, and certainly other um, creatures as well, are scattered across the universe. You know, to think that we only live here on this planet is incredibly egocentric. You know, it just isn't reality. And, you know, if you believe that this is the only destination that humans have, you know, we need to have a bigger conversation because it just 
it's senseless, it's wasteful um, from a universe perspective in a universe that doesn't waste. To put people on one planet in the entire universe just defies every logic that there is. And so, um, so because of that, <coughs> I don't necessarily believe that we, uh, if we are cycling through things, that we're not necessarily here on Earth every single time. We could be at some other, you know, some other planet living some of our lives. And so if that's the case, you know, maybe we're on some planet out in the Pleiades or um, Orion's belt somewhere, you know, something out there, maybe from a solar system in the Andromeda galaxy, who knows? Um, and so if we're there and then we're here, and then maybe we go back there or a different place here on this planet. How does that work from a genetics perspective? You know, it's just, I don't know. It may be one of those things that we just never fully understand, or maybe we've already been told, but we've dismissed it because of the messenger. I mean, who knows? Uh, Kathleen said, uh, decades of research conducted by Dr. Helen Wambach, uh, by hypnotizing large groups of random people and taking them back to specific time periods, found that the lies they remember were distributed appropriately among all races, all caste and class, economic levels, and geographic areas, as well as far as what they reported. She and her associates hypnotized thousands of people and gave them no guidance of uh, what to see except dates, such as 18th century or, 20, 000, or 2000 BC or whatever. Well, and that's how I would approach it. I mean, that makes sense for them to take that approach because that way it rules out um, hypnotic suggestion, you know. Uh, because like in my experience, there were three different timelines that I saw. Um, and I didn't just see them. I saw pictures the thing that freaked me out about it all wasn't what I saw or what I heard or anything like that. Like that isn't what got me in my experience. It's that I could feel it all. Like I could feel the emotions of what that person was feeling in the snapshot period of time that I saw it. And that is what was weird. Like it really was like I was there. And so one time I was a senator or something in Greece, like old Greece. So, you know, however many hundreds of years ago, another time I was a Native American chief, another time I was a nurse, um, like in the, like World War I, that period of time. Um... And I also had dreams of being a French soldier, which was separate from the regression. But what was interesting to me, like through that experience, it was a hell of a journey that happened in a fairly short period of time. Um, but there was no guidance, you know, um, other than the person who was handling the regression of pulling me out of certain things when she could see it was starting to overwhelm me. Um, but one, one thing that stood out to me in my experience with that was there was an overarching theme. And the overarching theme had to do with me maturing as a leader. 
in leadership. And um, so the snapshots that I saw were essentially me failing <laughs> in different ways. Like, yay, nailing it. Um, now, the argument could be made that it was just my subconscious mind producing it all. Maybe. You know, the argument could be made that it was indeed um, real experiences that I had in my life. Maybe. The argument can't be made that I was, that it was um, hypnotically suggested. Because that, I know for a fact, is not what took place. Um, but still, to me, I look at it now and it's like, you know what? Ultimately, like that's cool and all, but it has no impact on where I am ultimately today. I mean, it probably does, but it's like, oh my God, I was an Egyptian pharaoh. You know, notice how so many people are like Egyptian pharaohs and stuff. Although I have a weird, uncanny connection to Egypt. But, you know, I could have been one of the dudes building the pyramids, you know, alongside the aliens. Um, <laughs> who knows? I, I just don't know. I mean, to me, it's like one of those kind of curiosity journey adventures that would be a lot of fun. Um, Carolyn says, I'm certainly on board with all your musings about reincarnation. From what I've read and perceived, they're both random jumps around and following a genetic lineage in the reincarnation process. Probably depends on your educational needs. That's kind of where I landed with some of it, too, based on a reading that I did years ago. Um, you know, if you read, um, uh, what is his name? Um, Brian Weiss, is it? Um, One Life, Many Masters, or Many Lives, Many Masters, or maybe he has both of those. I don't remember. I've read most of his books. Um, he's another one that I find incredibly curious because he set out to prove that it was all bullshit and in the end ended up with thousands and thousands of case studies proving otherwise and um so you know that was a series of books that really got me scratching my head i felt guilty reading them in the beginning honestly because of my upbringing but I got over it pretty quickly from the perspective of how on earth could this possibly be true? Because it goes against everything that I was ever told. Um, but yet, it just made sense to me. Uh, Tony says, if lineage happens with humans, wonder what, uh, wonder if it does for animals or aliens too. Yeah, I mean... I've often thought about that. I mean, we look at an animal as, you know, this thing that exists and then, you know, it dies and it goes into the ground and that's it. But how do we know that that's really it? You know, like we just don't. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in the argument that usually the, um, the easiest explanation is the correct one. But there's some times where it just isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just isn't the best explanation. And it's not that it should be hard. I think it's just beyond our comprehension. 
And that's why I think I shared um, another time where years ago I had this experience where I was driving and my grandmother appeared in the car, my dead grandmother. Now, I didn't see her physically, but I could feel her presence. I could hear her voice in my head as if she was sitting next to me. And she gave me, this is um, either, I think it was right before my dad passed. Like within a week before my dad dying. And she gave me a very, very clear message for my mom. Which I didn't know how mom would receive it. She received it incredibly well. Um, And I asked her, I said, um, hey, since you're here, can I ask you a question? And um, she said, sure. Uh, actually she said, I reckon, <laughs> cause I mean, my grandmother's from West Virginia, you know, she's like, well, I reckon, um, but in any case, she said, sure. And, um, I asked her what it was like where she was. And she told me that she couldn't tell me. And I said, okay, I get it. And she's like, no, you don't get it. She's like, I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand because you have no context to understand what I would tell you. And immediately that satisfied me, satisfied my curiosity because it made sense to me. And I kind of think that that's what we're bumping up against in this discussion is that the reality is we have no frame of reference. We have no context to adequately process how we really go through this experience. You know, I mean, we're thinking about linear based upon time, but what if you're stepping outside of time? I mean, if we are indeed eternal beings, we're outside of time. And, you know, just to throw another log on the fire, what if our reincarnation our visits what if our let's just say that we have 10 for just to randomly pick what if visit number one like we would normally think that spiritual progression means that you know our first visit to this planet would put us somewhere you know back twelve thousand years ago some dude hunting woolly mammoths and then the next go around, you know, maybe we lived in ancient Egypt and then the next go around, you know, down in Africa, maybe and next go around, you know, maybe in early Ireland and Wales and that area. And we really like that area. So we decided to come back there a couple of times and then, you know, right. So we think uh, linear uh, past to future progression. But what if it isn't like that at all? What if visit number one happens 250 years from now and visit number two happens 3,000 years ago and visit number three happens tomorrow? Whatever kids are being born tomorrow, like that's visit number three. And visit number four is on some planet 500 light years from here. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing saying that that couldn't be the case either. Because we have no context. And we think very linearly. And then to put even more of a log on the fire so that we get this blazing bonfire going. 
We're just talking this dimension. Physics has kind of shown that there's at least 10. 10 different dimensions. So what if one of our manifestations or ways that we show up is in the eighth dimension? Which is likely beyond time. What if we come back as an oak tree? <laughs> you know, we automatically assume we come back as humans or maybe animals, who knows? Um, but we just don't know. That is at the core of it right now. I think, though, as we continue to grow and mature across the board as a group of people, not meaning just everyone on this webinar today, but, you know, humanity as a whole, which seems we're going backwards these days more than forward. But let's say that we are actually evolving. Um, or as some people put it, we're um, achieving a higher level of vibration. Which actually makes a lot of logical sense to me. If we are children of the light, light is at a higher vibration than not. Um, so that actually makes some logical sense to me. But let's say that we are upping the game as we go along here linearly through time. Um, it, it almost seems like we'll never get there. But what if we're already there and we just haven't realized it yet? You know, so I don't know. It's just very curious to me. Uh, Mary says, random or chosen, in between physically focused being. Um, I have more optimism now because children born now have a perspective beyond expectations, limits, or understanding. It certainly isn't de uh, devolution, though my beliefs have been shaken over time. The great recycling experiment, birth, life, death, eternity, without good and bad labeling piques my curiosity too. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some kids being born these days. Um, call them indigo children, call them, um, rainbow children. And I don't mean rainbow as in, you know, the gay community, but, um, children who are beyond where we are by a lot. I think if anything, the, the powers that be, whether it's the universe or divine source or aliens, sees our need to step up the game. You know, like we're not getting it quickly enough. Um, if quickly enough is even a thing in the grand scheme of eternity, it isn't. But um, I don't know. It's incredibly curious. This is one of those topics that my mind floats in and out of on a fairly regular basis and has for years and years. I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit of a grip on things, but still have a long way to go. Um, Kathleen asks, have you read Past Lies, Future Lies by Dr. Bruce Goldberg? I have not. Um, if not, you must. You will love it. He has hypnotized many thousands of patients. He would tell them to go to the time where their problems started. Um, originally expecting childhood trauma and many, many went to a past life, but a few went to a future life. So he devoted his life to researching past and future life phenomenon. Um, I probably would like that book. 
I'm going to write it down. Past lives. I did meet a person years ago um, who, uh, he was a very interesting person to talk to. Um, I never had a chance to really do anything with him, and I don't remember his name right now, but instead of specializing in past life regression, he specialized in future regression, or well, I guess it wouldn't be regression, because <laughs> re means going back, but future lives, like that was his specialty. And we had some really fascinating discussions. I met him at one of the internet marketing events. Um, but anyway, uh, Kathleen says, you tend to remember the life, life or lives most applicable to you, your current situation. So you might not remember lives on other planets as being too different. Or you might. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, and she also shares, some researchers believe that as Jung thought, all of us are connected through the great subconscious mind, so we could, have theoretic we could theoretically relate to lives that were not literally ours, but have an affinity for us now. Well, and that's another completely different um, way of looking at it. And I've often thought about that as well, because, you know, another of my obsessions is archetypes, which tends to tie into this, really, if you think about it. Um, because you take all of humanity and all of a sudden the same underlying archetypes exist regardless of who you are. That's just interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it really defies belief. Like that shouldn't exist if there wasn't, it, it's almost kind of like hive mind. Although I, I think it's not quite that. Um, you know, maybe a subconscious mind pool, who knows. But I do think that that could be a little tiny piece of evidence um, toward the greater story of what's really going on. Um, you know, one of the things that I used to believe, and I haven't found any reason not to, uh, even still, in my adventurous state, is that, um, you know, growing up in the church, there were a lot of people that shared a lot of different things and beliefs and all of that regarding God and who God was. And of course, we as humans tend to humanify everything. So, you know, we would naturally refer to God the Father because, well, that makes sense um, in our minds and logic anyway. Although I don't really ascribe to that. I believe that God is genderless because it would make sense to have God the Father. What if you have a bad father experience and all of a sudden, boom you have a problem. So God needs to be genderless by design. It just, you know, neutral. Um, which is why I'm such a big believer in cause and effect versus right and wrong. It removes subjectivity completely. Um, but one of the things that I ascribed to uh, quite a while back was that if God or the divine source or whoever really is all encompassing and we are an expression of that, you could even say, you know, God is light since he's referred to, or she is referred to, it is referred to as that in scripture, God is light. 
and we are children of light, right? So that means that as a whole, kind of using your language, great subconscious mind, as a whole, each of us are an expression of the great light. And so to get a true picture of who the divine really is or who God really is, you would have to consider all of humanity, each as an expression of the whole. Okay, so from the theory of one great subconscious mind, it actually works, which is why I still kind of toe that line, so to speak, still, because I haven't, you know, discovered anything uh, that would say otherwise. You know, it just kind of makes sense, you know. I mean, if you even bring it down to the plant level, say an oak tree, um, yeah, there's different types of oak trees, but at the end of the day, if you have just a an American oak growing in your backyard here in Pennsylvania um, versus over in California somewhere, um, and you look at the acorns, still pretty much going to look the same. You know what I mean? But yet they are unique in their own right as an expression of oak. Um, so... And, and it's because of that that I actually don't believe that we would come back as cats or as trees or something. I think, you know, we're kind of locked into some form of uh, carbon-based life form that's kind of human-like, perhaps. And I could be totally wrong. And I accept that. Uh, Carolyn says, spiritual genealogy, here's something you would probably want to investigate. The Emotion Code and the Body Code by Dr. Bradley Nelson. Dr. Nelson has developed these protocols over the course of a lifetime in chiropractic. What he found, among other very woo-woo things, is that there are energies that can attach to people and their DNA and affect subsequent generations just as potently as the DNA itself. Um, I do believe that. 100%. Um, he has also been shown to how to clear this garbage because it almost, uh, because it is almost all garbage that causes problems. I'm only in the beginning stages of working with this, but it looks to be the best thing I've found so far that addresses this type of issue. It makes sense. I mean, you hear phrases like generational curses and stuff like that. Um, which I've done some study on and I've seen that play out, like with my ex-wife, for instance, um, which in her family wasn't so much a generational curse as much as it was referred to as the gift. Okay. Which was, um, uh, incredibly empathic and, you know, some other kind of strange, bizarre kinds of things, but um, you know, so that makes sense to me. Uh, I have to write that one down too. Y'all should just start sharing like your Amazon affiliate links so that you <laughs> make a couple bucks off of me for all the books that I buy just from this training. Dr. Bradley. Cool.
Oh, that's interesting. Um, Kathleen says, one researcher, Goldberg, I think, found that many servants who had no real life of their own identified so closely with their masters and mistresses that they tend to at first believe they are reliving their own past when in fact, when you go deeper with repeated regression, you find that they just lived vicariously through their mistress or master for so long that it takes them a while to remember their own sad lives. Yeah, that that makes sense, actually. I mean, hey, why not we do that today? Uh, Carolyn says, uh, no context to explain, explain. I've heard that about the other worlds before. Yeah, it actually does make sense, you know. Um, and William says, the energy or chi DNA connection via lineage is an interesting connection to ponder. Yeah, and, and that, like, how energy plays a role in all of this because we all are energy obviously light whatever that's what's incredibly curious and maybe you know the reason why we can't see some of these connections is because you know as it says in scripture we look through a glass darkly <laughs> you know i mean maybe that's really it's that part is just that simple that we are so indoctrinated with living life as it is that to see beyond that to set all of that aside to see beyond it may make us appear insane um you know because we wouldn't be able to handle the information i mean it's just like i've shared multiple times before about that experience i had that vision experience where the light hit my hit me um during that vision experience I mean, whether it was all the secrets of the universe or just one tiny little segment of it, it didn't really matter. It scrambled my brain for a while. I couldn't even talk for a couple hours, you know. And so to really dig into some of the truth and context behind some of this, you know, it makes me wonder if we really catch hold, A, would we be able to effectively communicate it in our words? I mean, language can be powerful. But to communicate something that you don't normally have context to and limit it to words where it may only be able to be communicated energetically or through feelings and emotions and, I mean, all the above, I don't know. I mean, like, we could probably lose a serious grip on reality. So, you know, maybe this discussion is one of those that you chalk up to be careful what you wish for. I don't know. Um, Carolyn says, okay, about non-linearity, how about the concept that you return between lives to a much expanded being from which the most recent physical incarnation may consider projection, much as an actor can play many different roles, but is the same essential person? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, why the hell I decided to, to play out Tony Lighting in, in this act <laughs> is beyond me. But I'm sure I had my reasons. Uh, Kathleen says, Goldberg has many books and some wonderful hypnosis CDs. All good. Met him. Very kind, generous being. 
<laughs> Chris says, shout out for Joseph Campbell's books. I know. I, I love those. Um, and Kathleen also says, there are so many Native American stories of animal people, for example, um, that you have to wonder. Tibetan Buddhism teaches that if you live a debased, beast-like, animalistic life, you can come back as an animal. And then you have to try to grow mature enough to work your way back into being reborn as a human. They believe that karma is the effect of your own acts, thoughts, and beliefs on your own soul, not some external judgment. If consumed by greed, you can be reborn as a hungry ghost, never satisfied. They say the hardest realm to grow out of is the wish-fulfilling realm, where you can have anything you want. The description of that realm reminds me exactly of the tales of the Greek Norse and Roman pantheons. They could have or do anything, but they were always bored and caused trouble tormenting humans. Yeah, um, the a lot of the Native American stories I'm familiar with, and one of the things that I always um, appreciated about them is like whenever you talk to people who are familiar with the stories, not because they read them in a book, but because they were passed down to them orally, their um, worldview regarding those stories is much different than ours. And so whenever they talk about animals or plants or whatever we see them all as objects that we can master and control as humans and native americans don't they see them as people it's just a uh, and they'll often refer to them as the plant people or the animal people or the deer people or bear people or whatever and so they see them as equals you know um, and so as a result, you know, like the one story, I think I might have shared it in a previous episode, um, a very Tony paraphrased version of, you know, the origin of disease from the perspective of the Cherokee. Um, the origin of disease from their stories was because the animals got upset with the humans because they kept killing them. And so in retribution, they decided that they were going to afflict the humans with disease. And the plant people were a part of that meeting. And the plant people agreed to go along with it, provided that they could offer medicines to counteract the diseases that the animals would inflict on the humans. And the animals agreed to that, but asked how they would do that. And the plant people said, through dreams. And so, you know, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And so very often the medicine men would have dreams or visions or whatever on how to address certain types of illnesses. And so you may say, well, that don't work today. Well, how do you know? A. Um, B. The world has changed a lot, including our plants. Uh, and C. A lot of the stuff that we're dealing with is manufactured. You know. It's vastly different. Um, and I mean, you could argue like, well, what about smallpox and how they use that to wipe out the native people and all of that? Well, you know, there's a lot of discussion that can happen there. But the reality is, 
again, I think it goes back to the notion that we just don't understand some things. Um, and maybe it's just because it's not meant for us to understand, but yet the native people did because they were tuned in differently than us. You know, the further back you go, it's very convenient to think that um, we have all the modern technology and they don't or they didn't because after all, you know, they, you know, hunted with bows and arrows and knives or uh, arrowheads made out of flint and stuff. So how could they possibly have technology? But yet, when you look at the ancient past um, buildings and stuff that exist, we can't explain it. You know, I mean, honestly, the easy explanation is to blame it on aliens. But what if their technology was way beyond anything that we understand now? Like, what if? So we definitely lost some things in translation, no doubt about it. Uh, we think we're smart today, and really we aren't compared to our ancient ancestors, whether they're, you know, spiritual ancient ancestors or genetic ancient ancestors. We lost something. Uh, that I believe a hundred percent. Um, let's see. Kathleen says, um, there is really a huge amount of literature on this topic in several cultures to understand it, though. It seriously helps to have quality experience with trance work, including hypnosis. Yeah, I would, I would say so for sure. Uh, Tony asks, would you list the books on the Facebook page, please? I will do that. Yep. And uh, Kathleen says the word totem comes from an Ojibwe word, Otema, which means roughly ancestor. A clan has a totem, and so may uh, uh, many a family. Wolf is a totem of Rome. For example, European clans were named after their clan totem, horse clans, wolf clans, eagle clans, for example, and you are the product of your family totems. Makes sense. And she also says, maybe they're not symbolic. Maybe they are memories of reincarnation where previous animal lives leave remnants of skills and knowledge. It could be. I mean, and what what that brings up is uh, what about all the animals that are gone now, that are extinct, you know? I think my animal totem is, well, actually, I know what mine is, but, you know, imagine if it was like T-Rex mine is actually a bear um i know that through and through um hey knowledge was uh of the four directions is major technology and it's time for nomadic people that's why directions are sacred yeah and i mean you read some of the old native stories it's fascinating i was telling Kristen some a couple weeks ago we were driving somewhere and we were talking about directions and stuff and you know there's stories of like the plains indians uh, whenever they would hunt buffalo, there were a couple different things that they always looked for to track the buffalo. You know, they didn't have drones and GPS and all of that kind of stuff back in the day. Um, and you don't necessarily know where the buffalo are going to be hanging out. But there were some things that they used. One, they knew that buffalo liked uh, sunflowers. Because they would run through the sunflower patches and root them up with their horns. Uh, I always said that it was because they thought they made them look pretty. 
but I don't know that that's the case. Um, another thing that uh, they found is that certain kinds of birds like to hang out with the buffalo, um, and they would eat the bugs off the buffalo's back. And then there was a, another one that said that there's a certain type of dung beetle that only existed on the uh, plateaus that if you found this particular kind of beetle, their antenna always pointed toward herds of buffalo. Which is really kind of crazy if you think about it. So they would like, whenever they were searching for herds of buffalo, they would look for these um, beetles first and then head in the general direction that their antenna were pointing. And so they would look at them and then they would start looking for the birds. And they had a pretty good understanding of where the sunflowers were. I think the reason why the buffalo went into the sunflowers is because it gave the birds a distraction. I don't know. I just could be wrong on that. But, like, that's some interesting technology to me. I mean, we wouldn't consider that technology. But if you think about it, understanding the real meaning of why a certain bug is here, that their antenna points toward buffalo, like, that's crazy. Same reason, like the Cherokee had this understanding with um, uh, the relationship between corn and cat and nine tails. Um, because what they would do is, whenever they would leave to go hunting, they would leave for months, but they always managed to come back just in time to harvest the corn and stuff because they. You know, like a lot of the New York tribes, they grew corn, bean, and squash together because they work well as far as replenishing nitrogen into the soil and all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, one of the things that they discovered is that as if they kept track of cat and nine tails and some of those kinds of plants, there's actually a scientific logical explanation. They knew that if cat and nine tails started seeding at a certain period of time, they had about two weeks to get back to where their corn was about to be harvested. So they would plant at a very specific time. And then the timing of that played into um, cat and nine tails seeding. And once they started seeing that seeding process, they would start heading back toward the villages to arrive just in time to harvest the corn. And so there's a lot of those kind of understandings that we no longer have either. Just like seeing birds flying overhead. Every time I see a hawk or an eagle fly overhead, immediately, first words out of my mouth are, what's your message? You know, why are you flying here? Um, and sometimes words will pop into my mind, sometimes they don't. But, you know, fascinating stuff for sure. Uh, Carolyn says, someone I recently discovered by accident is a living Indian person called Sad Guru. Um, I have a personal bias against gurus from personal experience, but this guy has some very interesting things to say. Just go to YouTube and put in Sad Guru, S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U, and scores of videos will come up. Just follow your interest and see what you think. You have to check that out. Write that down. And guru. See, I get all these great books and suggestions and stuff. It's a wonder I even get any work done. 
Um, Kathleen says, totem is not the same as your spirit animal, who is your personal guide or affinity, or who you would be if you were an animal. And you can have more than one spirit animal guide, but your spirit animal is sort of your animal alter ego. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, my um, my newest grandson, Christopher, my ex-wife gave him the name Little Bear. And she's a grandmother, so, and both native and Lakota. So I guess she has a right to do that, and that's what came to her. So I'm not going to question it. I mean, it's a bear, so I think it's cool. Um, but I'm kind of curious to see and watch him grow up. Um, like for me, when I went through a naming ceremony years ago, that's what came out. The full name was Bear Walks in the Light, but it wasn't a surprise to me at all. Like I just knew that that's what it was going to be because I've always had this, I can't even, it's beyond explanation. Just this natural connection to bears. Um, and they have a lot of cool meetings in Cherokee culture. But uh, so I'm really curious to see how this all plays out for him, you know, as he grows. But anyway, well, that's all I have, folks. Um, thank you very much for your feedback and input and thoughts and everything. It's always fun to kind of talk about it. Um, and just please understand that sometimes I say things just to evoke conversation. Um my belief system is always evolving, probably like the rest of you. And so I find that it's, it's fun to interact with like-minded folks. Even if we don't all see exactly on the same page, we don't need to. I mean, how boring would that be? Um, to me, discovery is about getting to know what other people think or believe or whatever, even if it doesn't necessarily resonate with us per personally. Um, it still helps provide contrast and context into what makes us different and the same. So I hope you have a, a great um, rest of the week. And um, we'll reconvene here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Uh, and I'll leave you with this. Kathleen says, life as a working hypothesis. That's it exactly.